Welcome back to Joker Men, episode two. Isn't this technically episode three? Well, this is episode two, uh, part one, because the first one was uh, split into two. So we've got episode one, part one, or side A, sure, and then side B. Yeah, we'll stick with the uh, the record flipping uh, conceit for the titling of the episode. I think it's a pretty a novel approach. I agree. The record flipping. Sort of a combination of digital and analog at the same time. Danalog. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And nobody's done this before. Uh, but today we're, as uh, as we said last time, we're going to be starting with uh, the ninth studio album by Bob Dylan. Is that right? I believe that's right. Number nine, Nashville Skyline. That's probably why I named it Nashville Skyline. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably why, because Nashville Skyline rhymes nine. with nine. Right, yeah, and, and as we know, Bob Dylan is a great, um, you know, sort of a poet, uh, you know, very very good writer, so he's he's very tuned into rhymes. <laughs> yeah, very good writer. Yeah. And, um... You were really looking forward to this this one, and um, I uh, can't blame you because it's a delight. Yeah, I uh, that that's really the the simplest and, and only way to phrase it. Um, I mean, I I, uh, I can't I, I can't say that it's his greatest record necessarily. I, I don't even know that like using that terminology is is fair, really. But in terms of like personal favorites and stuff, this this has got to be, if not number one, then certainly top top two top three and and depending on the day it is it is my absolute favorite i think that this is just um it, it's a really unique kind of record in the catalog um and he's doing some of my absolute favorite shit uh which we'll you know we'll get get to get into here in a moment um and it's really um yeah it's, it's singular there isn't another kind of um instance of of a couple of the things that he's trying to do on this record in in his long uh, discography, um, it's kind of just like an oddball, one-off uh, experiment almost. Um, and uh, I don't know, it just it, it hit me at the right time when I was a kid coming up. Um, and I think some of the uh, the language and lyrics uh, in here are as um, poignant um, as anything that he's written. Um, yeah, it, uh, it it really just does it for me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this album came out in uh, 69 in uh, April on April 9th 1969 so a lot of we got a lot of a lot of nines lining up here right ninth album uh, wow. April 9th 1969 Nashville skyline whoa so I'm I'm having a moment where my mind's being blown right now by how many nines there are this is this is re- really some uh, some unbelievable and there's there's stuff there's nine tracks just kidding there's 10 there's 10 but there are nine tracks with lyrics that's the sound of my brain blowing there up. you go because this... this album does have the very first instrumental track on a bob dylan album yeah and it's the the nashville skyline rag nashville skyline rag. we're getting ahead of ourselves i suppose because we should start at the tippy top of this album that we should, which is a uh, a cover of a song uh, that Dylan himself had written several years earlier. I guess would we call it a cover or a re-recording or? 
I think it's a reimagining, reimagining, uh, a, sure. re, a reboot. Sure. This is a reboot yeah. of um, the song <laughs> "Girl from the North Country," yep. which you might remember from uh, Free Wheeling. The, the Bob Dylan material that that we aren't talking about, but from the past, right? Way before any of this, and it was a a folk song, just a beautiful folk ballad uh, about a, a woman. Uh, a girl from well, a girl. I'm sorry, a, a girl who's from the North Country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, telling a friend, a trusted friend, I assume, to uh, give her my regards. Yeah. Yeah, this... uh, So right off the bat, I mean, with this song, you you can kind of tell that what he's doing on this record is is pretty distinct, certainly from John Wesley Harding, um, and and absolutely from anything that had come before. Like, there's there's some... uh, just uh, brand new blasts of color uh, at, at the very beginning of this record that will kind of uh, uh, play out throughout the rest of it. Um, but I mean, the voice I think is the most is the most obvious thing that you key in on immediately, right? What, what how do you how do you what do you think about this um, this sort of uh, croon, this country croon that he's adopted on this record? The way that Dylan sounds on this record is uh, a huge departure. Uh, as you were saying, from everything before, it has this kind of throat, uh, sort of Kermit the Frog, uh, suave throat quality. Yeah, I, can't, I see what you uh, mean. Sort of, kind of, sort of like, kind of like that. There you go. Did I? Does that sound like it? Sort of. I mean, the uh, the zoom audio quality is not terribly high, so I don't have a great uh, bit of fidelity into how you're sounding. It's either it's close to Dylan, or maybe it's a little like uh, uh, Doctor Huxtable. But you know, yeah. But uh, if anybody was looking to this record, anybody who was a Dylan fan at the time was hoping that the next one would be a return to pre-John Wesley Harding style Dylan they, they're probably even more disappointed, Sorely disappointed if they didn't like that record by this one Exactly. if you don't like the relaxed Dylan, if you don't want Bob Dylan to be happy in your music you want him to be a force of change and um, a galvanizing philosophical and uh, literary songwriter um, and performer, you are going to have to take an L with this record, um, as it were, yeah. because this this is unfortunately uh, for you if if you feel that way, this is the record of a happy man. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, he, he does he does seem to have uh, some some degree of zen or personal bliss or something going on in this record i i coming back to it i i you know I, i've listened to this record a thousand times um and um but not for a little while not for you know maybe a year or two um at least seriously before um coming back to it and, and uh refreshing myself uh but you know uh listening to it now with fresh ears or relatively fresh ears uh, i realize this is this is really dylan's uh horny album yeah right Every I think you're right. Every every song is is about him um 
uh, well, I guess with the exception of the Nashville Skyline Rag, uh, every every lyrical song is about him um, either uh, uh, having a a woman uh, with whom to be horny or um, uh, regretting that he no longer has a woman with whom he can be horny, mm. um, mm-hmm. or anticipating, uh, uh, gaining, uh, claiming a woman with whom he can the be horny. The horniness to come. Right, exactly. That's the overwhelming kind of focus uh, and, and theme, I think, that runs through all of, uh, all of these tracks here, um, starting with, you know, Girl from the North Country, uh, where he's, he's sort wistful. of wistfully, exactly, wistfully yeah. uh, reminiscing about a, um, you know, a girl uh, from the North Country uh, with whom he presumably, um, you know, had 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 been horny in the past exactly yeah and he's not alone because he's got none other than famous musician johnny cash yes well known Uh, well known uh american uh i guess not a songwriter he's more of just a singer uh but uh well he wrote songs too for sure i guess he wrote a couple songs but he did a lot of covers and and you know got co-writing credits and stuff he wasn't as much of a lyricist as dylan unspeakably legendary um and it's a huge flex honestly uh to start (laughs) this record off uh with um casually reinterpreting an old song but this time you're just friends with with friends with johnny cash if you're gonna do a nashville uh country record which is what this is this is fully a country album uh in its own unique way but nonetheless firmly two feet on the country ground, um, what better way to show that nobody can say shit than uh, having literally Johnny Cash show up. also there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, uh, I believe, like, I, I, you know, if I'm remembering correctly about some of the lore and stuff behind this record, like, Dylan was obviously in Nashville cutting this album, and uh, – Johnny Cash, I think, was just around, and he invited him in. Dylan invited Cash into the studio one day just to, like, fuck around for a little while. They were actually in the same studio. They were recording at the same time. Oh, so he was just down the uh, hall when he brought studio. him in. Yeah, they actually did a bunch of tracks. They just laid down a bunch of tracks, uh, sort of jamming. Right. Yeah, it was a very casual kind of recording session. This is the only one, of course, that came out from that in any official way. Right, yeah. The the, the bootleg session that came out last fall um, is from this era. Also, like the uh, right. John Wesley Harding, Nashville Skyline, a little bit of self-portrait, I think, on there, too. And there's a couple there's a couple other tracks with Dylan and Cash, I think, from these same sessions uh, that are just very uh, sort of loose and casual. There's another cut of Girl from North Country, and they are both, like like, mumbling and, like, wandering halfway through the song without really remembering even the lyrics and stuff. It's a very it's a very charming listen. This version, this actual uh recording has some of that too. It isn't perfect at all. It has um a lot of them trying to harmonize in this way that is kind of clumsy but sort of sweet. Not at full voice even. It it sounds that sometimes there's a little bit of trepidation sure like maybe it was their first or second time ever singing together yeah i I don't think that either one of them really uh did much preparation for the recording session but even still i think this song in particular has just got like some lightning in a bottle kind of quality to it 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 gives me shivers listening to it there there's a great also the the other kind of um uh, oral uh oral a-u-r-a-l oral Mm. like the sound um 
theme running through this record is the, is the echo and the reverb on this album, which is totally not at all present on uh, John Wesley Harding, which is like a very just dry and kind of straightforward, straight bone up, dry. bone dry, exactly like we talked about last time. But this has got this has got a real nice, humid kind of reverb all throughout, uh, and that's apparent right at the very beginning of this song. I just, uh, I don't know. I, it, it, this is this is really like the beginning of the Bob Dylan, like the Bob Dylan that we're interested in here talking about. I think John Wesley Harding was like, you know, kind of a tentative first step in that direction. But here is where we are really like we're playing in the studio. We're going in a complete different direction lyrically. Uh, we're deliberately trying to fuck with people who want other visions of Joanna's and uh, like a Rolling Stones and stuff. Um, I love it. There is something of a crisis of identity happening here, I think. Uh, this album is an attempt to be a new man, a different guy right. entirely from the ground up. Right. And for some people, that absolutely works. You clearly are on board. He's and I think that you're right that we are interested in that. Or that's sort of a big part of the point of uh, this project here is uh, investigating all these attempts at reinvention, which uh, unlike with David Bowie or something right. or Lou Reed, they're much more subtle, uh, <laughs> like reinventions yeah, of, totally. a, of a musical persona right. than you know having Ziggy Stardust and you don't have like uh just, just completely shorn uh bleach blonde shaved eyebrows right. era of Lou Reed. You you just have Dylan being different in some way. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not like um playing a playing a part or, or like casting himself in a role like the way that Bowie has like different characters and stuff right yeah he's got Ziggy Stardust he's got the thin white duke Dylan is doing the same thing um with with the sound and the kind of songwriting the songwriting that he's doing on all his records but it, at the end of the day it's just it is still just Bob Dylan you know and it, it's a less I don't want to say manufactured because I feel like that's doing a discredit to Bowie at this point but uh it's less uh, self-conscious and, and less uh, theatrical maybe it's definitely less theatrical, but I, I do wonder how much it is um, a dramatic uh, intent in a way, or or if he's really searching for himself. And I get the impression more than not that on this record, this is a man who is uh, trying to figure out who he is. I think he's. Bit. I think at this point he's just like he's having fun. Like it, he's he's spent nearly a decade being this like you know protest singer, uh, this this neo Woody Guthrie who who uh, is is all things to all people is a radical uh, countercultural figure, uh, and then he's gone electric and set the template for what rock and roll is going to be like for the next half century, and uh, and then at a certain point he's like you know. Uh, I, I think one one thing, not to bring too much of like the current uh, political context into what's going on here, but I think it is interesting to think of this record coming out in '69, right? So the right, right the year after '68, like it's one year after '68 when everything went to shit, when it became clear, I think for the first time, that all of the countercultural forces that conspired in the '60s really were going to amount to nothing, and that the hippies uh, had had completely failed, and um, there there just wasn't really any any beating back 
um, the forces of empire and capital, I think. Um, and so, and so I think whether or not Dylan like consciously decides with this record, like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to withdraw into myself and start writing love songs. Um, I think, I think it, there's a, there's an interesting kind of thread there between those two elements because, he must have had to reckon with the fact that like everything that he had been trying to do or, or whatever kind of, um, you know, social change he might've, uh, wanted to affect as a younger man had, had basically come to nothing. Um, besides, you know, uh, obviously some, some protests and, and riots and stuff like that. Um, that no, nothing had fundamentally changed. And so the only solution I think as, as a recording artist is to, instead of just keep banging your head against a brick wall uh, with diminishing results, I guess it's just to go in the complete opposite direction and be a, be a happy country crooner guy. It seems to me that he kind of stopped trying to do direct political social change music even well before this. Uh, even Blonde on Blonde and Highway 61, those albums aren't about a social change mission. They are an exploration of his poetic strengths, I think. Um, and then you see him and John Wesley Harding sort of return in some ways to that morality at the center of the music, but it's much more uh, Old Testament, as we were saying. It's a more broad approach right. to right and wrong and, and heroes and villains, then this record is in some way, yeah, it, it, instead of continuing to find new ways to reinvent things, it's like he's experimenting with what what, what happens if I just relaxed. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, in that way, like like I've said, it's it's one of my all-time favorites just in terms of sound and, and kind of attitude and, and vibe. But at the same time, it also does make me a little sad because it's it's sort of the foreclosing or for like the the final foreclosure of the original uh, radical utopian kind of Dylan. And mm-hmm. song two, uh, Nashville Skyline Rag. Yep. We don't have anything to say about the mission, really, because <laughs> it's uh, simply a rag. It is a jaunty ragtime sort of uh, Scott Joplin sounding. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun little uh, doodle or noodle or whatever. Um, I mean, the, the significance to this song, insofar as there is significance to it, is just the fact that yeah, it's it's a it's a an instrumental on a Dylan record. Who Dylan is uh, the the least kind of up until at this point at least least kind of instrumental kind of guy you can imagine. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think he's trying to do by by slotting an instrumental song number two on the record? I think that uh, this one two punch of "Girl from the North Country" and then "Nashville Skyline Rag" is like uh, to set off. Right. You have this clearly relaxed, very intimate performance of an an old song, which is already kind of going to make it clear that if you're expecting some new mountains and some new heights to be scaled anything new lyrically forget that for now and then you've got just a happy sounding instrumental track which just reiterates that uh you're in for something different here and um get with it yeah like have some fun yeah yeah it must have just been like a complete 
shock, I think, if like the first time you throw this record on a turntable in 1969, and and you're psyched for you know here we go here's here's the new Dylan maybe he's maybe he's gone back to what I want out of him after that weird one up John Wesley Harding, and you get yeah you get the the reboot or reimagining uh, of Girl from North Country with half the song sung by someone else entirely, and then the second song on the record we don't even get a single word. Um, I I love it. But it um, it's really a, a kind of a fuck a fuck you to to everyone who must have been listening. Yeah, <laughs> it's also uh, worth pointing out that uh, say you search 1969 rock albums and you want to know what else was kind of mm-hmm. happening. Uh, let's just take a brief glimpse at the the records landscape let's. here. Uh, L- Led Zeppelin two. You got In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson. You have Let It Bleed. You have Tommy by The Who. Uh, You have Hot Rats by Frank Zappa. This is such a uh, huge year for extremely colorful, bold, uh, creative, pushing the boundaries type of rock and... uh, it really seems like you have uh, in Bob right now in 1969 zero interest in whatever keeping up with all is. that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Total departure, and nowhere is that more clear than having anything called a rag <laughs> when uh, Led Zeppelin two is on the shelves. Right. Yeah, I can't imagine anything less appealing to uh, rock people in 69 than seeing the word rag on uh, on a on a track listing. <laughs> but like I think like with some of the songs on John Wesley Harding, like this is like I I'm I'm so much more interested in listening to this kind of record than I am in Led Zeppelin 2 or Tommy or something at this at this point in my life. It's such a simple pleasure, not pretentious not overdone it, it just it, it exists almost like out of time on its own um and and it's so much more satisfying to listen to whatever it is 50 years 60 years down the line after all that shit you know yeah well for anybody who thought that this was dylan giving up or something like that at this point i think that's a pretty uncharitable view of it in no matter what year you're in just because mm. he is giving you something new it's Bob Dylan doing something different. Is that not just interesting enough? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that this is probably where the people who were going to stick with Dylan, this is kind of where that that group of people started to diverge from the the people that, you know, go to the shows and just want to hear, hear the hits from 65, 66, 67. Um, uh, because this is, this is clearly not meeting their expectations or, or, kind of giving them anything that they, they might have wanted or, or expected from them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is definitely the direction that he ended up pursuing going forward, as we'll see with the next couple records after this, certainly Self-Portrait and uh, New Morning, which go even further afield, maybe not quite as successful as, uh, as this delicious little nugget, but, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there in, in due time. We'll get to that. This album, uh, apparently, it was originally to be called John Wesley Harding, Volume 2. <laughs> I did not know that. I love that. Uh, according to Dylan, 
they wanted to call the uh, Columbia wanted to call the album "Love Is All There Is," uh, and uh, Dylan said, "I didn't see anything wrong with it, but uh, it sounded a little spooky to me." Spooky. And uh, another possible title was "Girl from the North Country." Uh, apparently, Dylan remarked that uh, "Picture Me on the Front" holding a guitar and "Girl from the North Country" printed on top. <laughs> That makes me laugh thinking about it. Yes, we ended up with not uh, John Wesley Harding 2, 2 John, 2 Wesley, 2 Harding. Sure. But with simply Nashville Skyline and the self-titled Rag that we've got here. Right. Hopping on along, skipping along on the record, we're at track three. Track three, yeah. To be alone with you. And and here is where I think the horniness theme really begins to emerge here. Right. Mm-hmm. This is um this is this is kind of the simplest and, and most straightforward um expression of his horniness on the record. Uh but he's he's basically just pining for the evening when he will be alone with you. Um and all of the pleasures that that entails. All of your charms, he says. Which right. I thought is cute. It's very quaint in the sort of old-fashioned, horny way. Yep. That's what yeah. he used to say. He used to say, I love your uh, charms. What's the sexiest thing about you? Your charms. Your charms, sure. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. He winked. He gets his sweet reward when his working day is through, which is being alone with you. This has a return to vocals on the record more uh more singing now and um we've got that voice again and uh apparently an influence on the change in the voice was a temporary quitting of of smoking cigarettes by by bob dylan he stopped uh with the cigs for and and then came out the other end sounding like this way right i don't know that i necessarily buy that 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 sounds like some some classic dylan myth making right exactly it's uh, yeah like he was just in an interview with someone and they're like bob you know uh, great great record i love the new uh new direction with your voice what what are you doing here and he would have just been like oh I, I didn't do anything with my voice i just stopped smoking yeah he said i tell you you stop smoking those cigarettes and you'll be you'll be able to sing like caruso like Caruso. But, um, that's what he says, Caruso. Caru- who's Caruso? Enrico Caruso, of course, the uh, Italian operatic tenor. Of course, yes, Caruso. Enrico Caruso sang to great acclaim at the major opera houses of Europe. Europe. One of the most famous places in the world. It's a place that Bob Dylan uh, is he's sort of bragging. He's sort of bragging that he knows about uh, by mentioning clearly he knows uh you know he knows uh all of the great singers regardless of what type of singing they do the song uh is is really as you were saying one of the most straightforwardly um horny numbers and it's very happy too because it's a it's just anticipate anticipatory it's just thinking about when your working day is done and uh, so it's got this very everyman quality, just like I'm not Bob Dylan. I'm 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 just like you. I'm just like anybody else. You know, I, I work in the morning and I work through the day 
and I want to see my honey baby at night. Yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan gets horny just like all the rest of us. And this is something that seems seems obvious, but maybe not so much, because in the past it, it might have seemed like he gets horny in a different way than anyone else, because he's thinking about all these kaleidoscopic images and uh, the the ghosts of electricity howling in the bones of your face. Right. Nudge, yeah, nudge, a- you know. We all know what he meant by that. <laughs> sure do. That's, that's a classic line that you can use on Tinder. Um, yeah, this is, uh, is is a much more straightforward, less high-minded kind of approach to to a woman. It, it's it's not. Uh, uh, he's not going too far with with the the lyrics on this one. It's just you know he he wants to be alone with you. Yeah, sort of like uh, the last couple songs on John Wesley Harding, uh, "Down Along the Cove" and "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." This right. is uh, f- following in that tradition right. of wanting to have a smooch. <laughs> and uh, it's short and very sweet and uh, very short, actually. Two minutes and seven seconds, which lands us right into the next song, which I think we can both agree is an undisputed classic, an El Clasico songo of this record. Yes, definitely a real a real five bags of popcorn kind of song. Yeah, five um, bags of song trophies. Yes, and uh, and a uh, cowboy hat, little cowboy yeah. hat, like he's wearing on the cover. Uh, and that's I threw it all away. Yes, a song that sounds like it was written. A thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, um, it's a timeless love ballad of regret and um, missing the person who you used to be horny with and about. Horny for and horny with, yes, yeah. This is uh, this uh, like I, 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 I. It's hard for me to state how important this song has been in my life just like like philosophically almost like there's there's something that like about this song that that has implanted itself in my in my chest and like guides my my own personal actions just the, the lyrics in this song alone i don't know i don't know what it is it, it's just it has really informed my my approach to my own personal life somehow, uh, which I, I don't really feel like I can say the same about virtually any other song uh, that I've ever listened to. Um, certainly not to the degree that this one has, you know? Wow. That is the highest praise. And uh, I see what you, where you're getting that. I mean, it is a song that really puts things into perspective, like uh, a real warning from... Uh, mono to mono or person to person that uh don't fuck up your chances don't don't fuck this up uh you you have one shot to be happy you might only have this one and uh it ends with of course an actual basically verbatim what i just yes. said uh if you find someone who gives you all of their love take it to your heart don't let it stray. Because uh, one thing's for certain, you'll surely be hurting if you throw yeah. it all away. Definitely a, a message or a, or a 
uh, moral that is out of step with the times we live in today, I would say. You know, uh, uh, throwing throwing your love away with, with uh, partners seems to be more it's not it's not even love that you have to throw away uh, at this point it's just on on to the next for for most of us out there but this for whatever reason this this insight that you know you 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 can't throw it all away you you certainly should not has has like i said it impacted my life i think because uh I acknowledge, or you know, we all acknowledge Dylan is is such a brilliant songsmith and, and writer for the earlier, um, more explicitly artistic kind of uh, lyrics that he was writing. But you know, you want to keep in mind, or you have to keep in mind that that it's the same guy that's writing this kind of simple, straight to the heart, just down to earth kind of messaging uh, that's going on on this record too. So so the yeah. same the same brilliance and insight that we have going into a song like Tambourine Man, right, or Baby Blue, uh, is, is going into this, this sort of song as well, uh, despite the fact that it's so much simpler and, and easier to understand and less consciously artistic. There, there's a you know uh, there's there's a reason that this guy at this particular moment in time is is deciding to just strip it down and be so straightforward and, and straight to the heart and vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. And there's something just really, really beautiful and affecting about that to me. I, I think what, what this song makes clear, and really this record makes clear, but, you know, this song is, is one of the clearest examples of it, is that it, it, you know, that Dylan's genius or talent or whatever was not just in these big, long, verbose um, screeds that he was writing uh, for the first five, six years of his career that are, that are so... Um, foundational to his reputation um those those are important and brilliant and, and uh, fantastic in their own right obviously uh but he really just in general has a talent for communicating what needs to be communicated in the way that is most effective to communicate it and by yeah by by doing away with all of these complicated um psychedelic kind of images and um uh, long twisted verses and, and rhyme schemes and stuff and just giving you giving you the straight out what's what like here's the deal kind of shit I feel like I'm talking like Joe Biden um, <laughs> here's the here's the deal Mac don't throw it all away yeah exactly exactly it's it's that folksy homespun wisdom that uh, you believe because you, it's coming from someone who's been there Right, exactly, yeah. This is the height of, of this guy's wisdom at this point. A fun fact is that uh, George Harrison uh, was one of the first people to hear this song. Uh, Dylan played it for him on Thanksgiving, 1968. Well, Some of the things that I'm throwing out here, these little facts, are from a fun little article uh, in the Rolling Stone magazine. Um which is 10 things you didn't know about Nashville Skyline. And uh, this was released for the 50th anniversary of this record last year. It's a song that seems to be one that other famed songwriters kind of wish they wrote. Uh, <laughs> there's um, George Harrison covered this song with uh, his band, um, the Beatles, <laughs> Uh, during the sure. um, sessions for Let It Be. And uh, there's actually a really odd 
cover of this by Scott Walker, and it's one of my favorite covers that of that Scott Walker ever did. Uh, who wasn't a Dylan fan particularly, um, according to what I what little I could find out, he uh, didn't particularly care for Dylan, but felt uh, it necessary to give this song a try, and uh, that version's really great if you ever get a chance to listen to it it's very flowery in, a, in the arrangement but then you've got this big deep sonorous scott walker baritone right and it's a song that sounds good pretty much on anyone it's it's just great a great song yeah it uh, it it works throughout the years yolo tango's got a good clip cover of this record too or song. they do yeah see i gotta make a playlist of just versions of this yeah, yeah, we can uh, we can we can add that as a as a nice little bit of extra media to go along with the podcast oh, that, yeah. if, in case you can't can't get enough. Hundred percent. And the song itself, just the I mean, the title of the song, it's such a gut punch. Just reading it on the track list, I threw it all away. It's uh, inescapable how immediate that is, and you already know what it's about without even hearing it. Yeah. Do you think that he really, really did throw it all away? I don't know that you could write this song if you didn't in some way if you hadn't. throw it all right. away. But right. maybe he's just got the great imagination to envision what it would be like. But on the next track, we uh, get a, a another little taste of what it must have been like to <laughs> to when he was with the the woman... Uh, who he loved, uh, perhaps it was Peggy Day. Yes. Was that a good transition? Was I think that, that was great. Very elegant. Great transit. Yeah. Very, yeah, and uh, more elegant for having called attention to the fact that we have transitioned from one song to the other. That's the, that's the key to a good transition, <laughs> is to announce that you are transitioning. That's right. Peggy Day. Definitely a a real curveball coming after I threw it all away. Uh, you know, here here again we see a bit more of that brilliant uh, Bob Dylan penchant for rhyming, right? We have I threw it all away, Peggy Day. Now we're gonna go on to the side B, Lay Lady Lay. And and some people say this album isn't ambitious. Exactly. There's he was just working at levels far far beyond what anyone was realizing at the time with all the nines and the eines and then the a's on the rhyme scheme. That's that's what this is really about. But yeah, Peggy Day, very simple little ditty. Uh, you know, kind of almost goes along with uh, the Nashville skyline rag, but he's just got some some a uh, couple slapdash lyrics laid down on top of it. Peggy Day and Peggy Knight. Um, Two characters, Clearly, yeah. Two characters. I think. I think two sides of the same woman. I would say. Well, that's an interesting interpretation. Yeah, you get Peggy he, Day at day and Peggy Night at night. Well, no, he's he loves to spend the night with Peggy Day, but he loves to spend the day uh, with yes. Peggy Night. You're so right. It's like a yin yang. Exactly. Where you have he the likes, dark and the light, the balance of Peggy. Right. Sort of like. Um, I think this is where. Uh, George Lucas took inspiration for uh, for the Force for in the Star, Star Wars for the Star Wars films. Yeah, several years later, there was there was uh, the 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 light side, which is uh, Peggy Day, and there was 
the dark side, Peggy Knight, and only uh, by by bringing them into harmony with one another can you bring balance to the force. Uh, this song has never been played live. Yeah, I I, I, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Clear, clearly not one that he's he's uh, necessarily thrilled with. Uh, you know, by golly, what more can I say? He loves to spend the night with Peggy Day. This is this is just kind of capping off this first side of horniness on this record. It's funny um, that it's never been played live because it seems like it'd be so easy to just pull this one out. Like, it's literally two minutes and one second long, and uh, it's been around for fifty years almost, or um, actually fifty-one years at this point. And um, I guess at no point did it seem appropriate to play live. Yeah, this almost it almost has like a quality of a song that is it's like one of these country standards that is written by some just like asshole songwriter guy who gives it to his Patsy Cline type wife right. to sing. Um, there, they, there's there's almost no substance to it. This um, is hokum. But the fact that it's yeah, it's ho- exactly it's hokum. Uh, but the fact that it's, it is actually written by the greatest songwriter is is so is so funny to me. I, I don't know what it is or what he was really trying to do here, but it seems like it's it's a little bit more that that classic Bob Dylan, uh, that classic Bob mi- Dylan sound. It, the classic Bob Dylan sound. <laughs> if this isn't so, that actually. I'm sorry. Yeah, not the the, the classic uh, Nashville skyline sound, I guess. But I I was gonna say a little bit of that classic Bob Dylan mischief right the, a little bit of this sphinx the sphinx like behavior that that uh this this guy who wrote um masters of war uh, and had so much to say about the military industrial complex uh, is now is now just talking about spending the day with peggy knight and spending the night with peggy day or for that matter uh even the same man who just wrote the song before this i threw it all away yeah, exactly and then you got peggy day in a way um if you think about it ian um I threw it all away, and then Peggy Day, and then you have Peggy Knight and Peggy Day. It's like I threw it all away is the Peggy Knight, and and Peggy Day is. Peggy He's the Peggy Day. <laughs> I, I see. I see. I see where you're going. You're operating at a high a high level of logic. My chakras are vibrating because I'm thinking about all of the beautiful symmetry and balance contained on side A of Nashville skyline and uh that that's the end of side a it is indeed that's all we have for now until uh we flip the record over and continue on the next episode of joker Joker Men. men